This episode brought to you by Bamboo Forest Publishing with such great titles as From Dreamer to Dreamfinder, The Dark Side of Disney, and It's Kind of a Cute Story. Check them out at bamboofforestpublishing.com. Just don't tell your mom. Well, hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home to the Communicore cadets. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And yeah. Well, you're driving right now, so I'm kind of wondering what you're doing recording the show. Um, well, it's hard to coordinate the driving and the actual recording process and holding the microphone up at the same time. It's yeah. And Martina's sleeping in the back, so... And there's not a lot of road noise, which is good. Yeah, I got this really great um, wind screen. I know people were complaining about the Bob Gurr episode with <laughs> the wind in the background. So but I got this great But that's the noise screen. that goes with Bob Gurr everywhere. That's true. That's the He's noise so that, important. So those are his fans, guys, cheering in the background. Yes, fans cheering in the background. I like it. So so while you're out there, anything special like the the, the world's biggest ball of yarn or twine or something like that i will be seeing the the world's largest ball of twine one of them there's two competing ones i'm going to the one in Calker city okay kansas okay. Okay. so i'll report back on that one don't don't and you worry guys promise me you will drive out of the state of kansas back up drive back into kansas drive out turn to martina and go huh i don't think we're in kansas any longer and then drive on it's funny you say that because I had plans to do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to make sure she doesn't listen to this episode. I'm sure like, she won't. But I can tell you the outcome now, and it's probably her punching me. Yeah, probably. Probably. So I'll let you know about that. I will text you immediately afterwards. <laughs> as soon as it goes. Well, and, and I know you're going to make a stop at the Walt Disney uh, Hometown Museum. Yes, yes, I will. And... Uh, Marceline, Missouri. I'm very excited about that. So we'll have a, a trip report about that, and I will have um, I'll probably have a point five or a hot seat with uh, some it, of the folks that work there. Yeah, so that'll be, be a good time. That's awesome. I'm not jealous. Not jealous at all. No, because you can come visit now whenever you want. Ooh, and stay for free. Yeah, you get a free hotel room. Yeah, it's a couch. Well, hey, that's somebody else's apartment. <laughs> hey, but it's free. It's free. It's time for Disney History! Most people know Monsanto today as a publicly traded multinational agricultural biotechnology corporation. That was a mouthful, by the way. I was going to say, you need to breathe. I do so. need to breathe. It's like wow. saying the name of a, a segment. Um, <laughs> We know a lot of people are against them these days, but we're we're not we're, we're focusing on their involvement in the Disneyland Resort uh, since they were a huge part of it for many 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 years. Now, there's a helicopter flying in the background, and I can hear it, and it's really loud. So. I cannot hear it. Really? That's you know what that is. It's it's Monsanto. It is Monsanto. So you know what? Forget it. I'm there. Just gonna... I could hear it right there. Oh, you can hear it. I can you hear know it what, right guys? There. Forget it. I'm not stopping the segment. We're just gonna push through it. 
Now, sure. Monsanto had actually, they sponsored four attractions in Tomorrowland throughout the 1950s and the 1960s, including one that debuted on opening day on July 17th, 1955. And that, of course, was the Hall of Chemistry. Sorry, I thought we'd hit, we should have some cheers at the end of that one. Um, oh, we should get so, Bob Gurren here then to get the cheers oh, in there. That's right, the only cheers he's got. So, so just before the opening of Disneyland, Walt was running out of time and money to help finish the things that he wanted. So he was forced to bring in corporate sponsors uh, to set up exhibits in some of the empty Tomorrowland buildings, mostly to help populate them. And the Monsanto Hall of Chemistry was joined by the Dutch Boy Paint Color Gallery and Kaiser's Hall of Aluminum fame. I wonder how the award ceremonies like that went. Uh, well, unfortunately, these exhibits were more to help promote the companies themselves than to actually promote the future, but that's not to say they didn't try. Yeah, because the Hall of Chemistry was a free walkthrough uh, exhibit that allowed the guests to learn more about the wonders of chemical uh, engineering, which at the time was pretty groundbreaking. Now, was located inside the big rectangular building just inside Tomorrowland's entrance, um, and guests there could find electrified wall displays, oversized test tubes, and a whole lot more. But the central display was of the Chematron, which was a huge display of eight test tubes filled with uh, basic materials found within nature, such as water, coal, salt, and those are just some of the many materials that Monsanto used to make their chemicals. But at the time, Monsanto was also trying to really push synthetic flooring, uh, floor coverings, I'm sorry. So there was an exhibit on that as well. <laughs> Riveting stuff. Yes. It's like cake botching, <laughs> you know, the, the sport of the future right there. The Hall of yes. Chemistry, it only lasted for, it was over a decade it lasted for, um, but it was replaced by another Monsanto attraction in 1966, uh, Adventure Through Inner Space. But we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Well, let's hope so. So coming next to Tomorrowland in 19, 1957 was the House of the Future. And I want some echo effect on that, you know. House of, the, of future. the Future. Okay, so this one was, again, another free walkthrough attraction. And the House of the Future basically showed the wonders of plastic. Uh, located just before the entrance to Tomorrowland, this slightly elevated home was also surrounded by a small garden and a pool. You know, sort of, you know, John Hench wanted to humanize it. And the pool just wasn't for show, it was actually part of the cooling system for the house as well. And inside the three-bedroom, two-bath home, it looked like a giant plus sign from above. And it was made out of four compartmentalized modules, which were eight feet tall and 16 feet long. And Monsanto advertised the fact that additional modules could be added to the home, making it larger. And you could also purchase an optional rotating mechanism that would turn the entire house in any direction you wanted at any time so it could travel through space while we can, you were going through time we can go with that if you'd like oh, i'm just wondering if you ordered extra modules did you have to order them like on each side you know oh, just kind of like even it out that's a good yeah question. like you couldn't put like four on one side yeah because then the weight wouldn't be distributed correctly and the house would probably like sag over to the side and i'm sure they would have told that to you so the, Mons ordering it. the Monsanto sagging house of the future. Yeah, that doesn't Tomorrow. have a good ring. Doesn't have a good ring to, to it. it. But that that's okay. As you can tell, we're joking about it. But it was a very <laughs> serious attraction at the time, and it was really meant to show off all the technological advances that Monsanto's uh, plastic, plastic division developed. Um, there was a pre-recorded narration inside the house that talked about how everything in the home was adjustable. So too hot or too cold or you wanted to have a scented air in the house not a problem 
press a button, it would happen. Um, don't like where the cabinets are? You could raise and lower them with a press of a button. You don't even have to touch it yourself. You can have a machine do it for you. <laughs> um, there's also an intercom, picture phones, an ultrasonic dishwasher, not a sonic screwdriver, and okay. even, get this, a microwave oven. Wow. Guys, that's kind of a big deal. Very futuristic, but no iPhones. No iPhones, not yet. Don't be picture ridiculous. Phones. Picture phones. Picture though. phones, They had FaceTime. They had FaceTime, yes. You know, it's looking back on it today, kind of silly, but you have to remember that this stuff was pretty groundbreaking for its time. Yeah. So uh, when it came time to close the House of the Future in 1967, there was a slight problem. Apparently, it was too strong. The house was built to last, which was a testament to the home's construction. And it took weeks to, mo- to demolish the home by hand with crowbars and handsaws because a wrecking ball uh, actually bounced off the side of the house when they tried to tear it down the first time. Just don't build them like that anymore. No, they don't. Please don't. Well, the, the third Monsanto attraction came in 1965 in the form of fashions and fabrics through the ages. Uh, <laughs> so think about it. What does fashion have to do with the future? Well, to be honest, we're not sure. Uh, we'll let you know in a couple of years once we figure it out. When we see in the future. When we see in the future. Well, they, they, they explained that in order to understand the fashions of tomorrow, you needed to understand the fashions of the past. Um, just go with it. Just go with it. Yeah, we'll just go with it anyway. So, so located next to their Hall of Chemistry exhibit, fashions and fabrics through the ages, start off by showing fashions from prehistoric times such as animal skins, I guess. Uh, And then they moved on to ancient Egypt, the Renaissance, and more. Uh, On display were historic gowns, actually, that belonged to several famous women, such as Mary Todd Lincoln. And they even had a synthetic spaceware from the future to help tie into its Tomorrowland setting. Of course, all these were uh, were there just to help promote Monsanto again, who in their brochure claimed it was very easy to duplicate the natural fibers of the past with man-made fibers of today. Surprisingly enough, this groundbreaking attraction only lasted nine months. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, actually, the entire building that it was located, including the Hall of Chemistry next to it, was gutted for the fourth, final, and probably most famous of all the Monsanto exhibits, mm-hmm. Adventure Through Inner Space. Yay. Now, the attraction opened in August 1967 and was part of Tomorrowland's massive redesign. Um, it also showed off the wonders of, of Monsanto's chemicals, but this time with a new and kind of unique vantage point from within the atom itself. So, guests who visited the attraction, they, they probably finally remembered the mighty microscope in the queue, in which they could watch other guests inside their animobiles slide into and then magically shrink into 8-inch tall replicas of themselves, which traveled into a snowflake. Um, all very scientific. Mm-hmm. But from there, the animobiles continued to shrink, and they went to visit the inside of a water molecule, and then into an oxygen atom. And of course, what Disney attraction would be complete without some sort of conflict? So the snowflake that you entered, it started to melt, and you had to go through all sort of crazy problems to get out of there in time, just so you can be re-enlarged again and to enjoy the rest of your day in the park. Yep, sounds like fun to me. Uh, so there was a litany of Disney Imagineers that were involved with the creation of the ride. Claude Coach designed most of the journey itself, 
uh, from John Hench's initial concept sketches. Ex Atencio wrote the script, which was voiced by Disney staple Paul Frees, you know, the ghost host. The Sherman Brothers penned the Miracles from Molecules exit song, while Buddy Baker did the background music. And much like their other attractions, Adventures Through Inner Space was free for all to see. Uh, children, however, had to use a special coupon located inside their ticket books in order to ride unsupervised. Uh, the real breakthrough of the attraction, though, was that this was the very first version of the famous Omnimover system in Disneyland. Uh, of course, the success of this ride led to the system's use all over. Uh, unfortunately, Adventure Through Inner Space closed in 1985 to make way for Star Tours. But as you can tell, Monsanto had a pretty profound effect on the Disney parks. And without them, it's very possible that some rides today would be very different. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is Lots to Do in Line, Walt Disney World by Meredith Lynn Pierce. Uh, this is Meredith's second title. The first one was Lots to Do in Line, Disneyland. So she obviously made the jump across country. Um, the book follows a similar format as a Disneyland book, just a lot bigger with a lot more stuff to do in line. Um, the book isn't really, it's thicker, but it's still the four by nine which it's an odd size for pleasure reading, but a great size for stowing in a backpack while in the park. Uh, and it's fairly easy to handle one-handed, especially flipping through the pages while standing in a queue. So the idea behind the book was to help people spend time in Disney queues without going crazy. Because we know if you're waiting in line for two hours for Toy Story Mania, you can go crazy. Yes. Um, and that's where this book comes in handy. Uh, we, we, we're all aware that Disney makes great immersive cues that help keep you entertained, but a 45-minute wait is painful, no matter how interactive the cue is. And now you can have your own interactivity. Hey, like talking to people or planning the rest of your day. Well, anyways, we'll move on. Okay, so, Jeff, I've got a trivia question for you, and this one's not in the book. What do you think the first themed cue in a theme park was? Uh, see, you sit in a theme park, which leads me to believe it wasn't a Disney park. Um, well, those are theme parks. No, I mean, but the, but the very first themed uh, so queue, like, I mean. Like, like I'm doing a trick question. Yeah, that's what I'm... I'm thinking it was a Knott's. That's I'm, what, I'm gonna go Knott's. Would you like to change the answer to maybe, like, something in Florida? Because I'm wrong? I'm not gonna say that you're wrong. Okay, something in Florida. I'm gonna go with Gatorland. <laughs> okay, okay, I, should, I guess I should say, what do you think the first theme queue ever created was that was based in a Disney, that is actually in a Disney theme park? <laughs> so you're saying Gatorland is still not a valid answer? <laughs> not quite, not quite. All right, I give up. <laughs> the first actual theme queue is the one for Pirates of the Caribbean. Really? In, in the Magic Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And shortly after that, it would have been Space Mountain at Walt Disney World, and then it sort of proliferated after that. Where does Gator, Gatorland fall on that list? <laughs> um, is Gatorland still a... Is this Six Flags Gatorland? Oh, that's another podcast altogether. So. <laughs> anyway, so back to the book. <laughs> back to the book review. It's divided in uh, by theme park at Walt Disney World and then by land or area in the park. And each attraction has a pop quiz that covers something interesting, 
like what's on the sign or the outside decoration. And once you're inside the queue, uh, Meredith has 10 to 20 different questions about the items, the theming, and the details of the queue. And there's also a treasure hunt. That's like a scavenger hunt for different things to keep an eye out for. And some of the queues even have a special collection that you can look for to keep the uh, group busy. For example, like in Pirates of the Caribbean, Meredith recommends that you count all of the lamps you see in the queue. 27. 27. You got it. So, um, Don't, don't uh, patronize me. I know you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just didn't want you to feel so bad after that disastrous <laughs> trivia answer. <laughs> okay. Well, um, she's, she's also got uh, things to do in line, even for the fast pass queues that you can look for, which is neat. And one thing that I really liked is that she has the answers at the end of each section. So you're not flipping to the back of the book for the answers. They're right there. That's like a minor thing, but it's a it's really it, a big thing in the grand scheme of things. I like that. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, if you can flip. Well, just don't let your you know kids or other people in your party see the book. Control the book at don't all Don't let times. them know you're cheating. That's what we're saying exactly. to you. Don't cheat there. So uh, There's also, she provides some interesting games you can play in the queues that might not when you might not have much else to do. Like, you know, if you're standing outside finding Nemo the musical and she talks about a game called Go Fish and this is similar to what other games, but, you know, you're supposed to try and spot people in the queue or people walking by that fit a specific description like wearing a red shirt or has a ponytail and a backpack and you get points for this. And she does that in a lot of different areas like people that are wearing fanny packs, you get a certain number of points and you get more points if you make fun of them out loud. <laughs> is that the critical weekly version of the well, game? I was going to say, that's sort of the snarky version of our, our game. As long as we can run quickly the other way and don't get punched in the face. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think Meredith has stumbled on a really neat idea. Parents are going to enjoy this book and probably pull it out and use it while they're in the queue with their kids going crazy nuts. And it's also a good way to get the kids to put down the video games or their phones and get engaged looking around the ride, you know, teaching them about the history of the attractions. Sort of like when we were walking through the queue for The Little Mermaid in New Fantasyland. Exactly. Hey, look that's at a this. good point. Look at this. Look at that. We had a blast. Except it was mostly us just saying just that. Look at this. Yeah, that's look true. At that. That's true. And people walking by us going, what is wrong with those Why two? are these idiots talking into an iPad? Because <laughs> that's what we do. Exactly. Um, so this one is called Lost to Do in Line, Walt Disney World by Meredith Lynn Pierce. We can't wait to tell you! So this past January at Mice Chat, I featured an article about Theme Park Studio by Pantera Entertainment, which looks like a fantastic replacement for Roller Coaster Tycoon, um, which I know a lot of people played in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Why are you saying that in past tense? Because I still play Roller Coaster Tycoon 3. A lot of us still play RC3. (laughs) So anyway, uh, but it's getting a little bit long in the tooth and uh, there haven't been any updates. Well, Pantera Entertainment is hoping to release Theme Park Studio, which is going to be similar, but right now it's mostly a roller coaster sim where you can build and design your own roller coasters and it looks really, really cool. But what we're here to talk to you guys about today uh, with this segment is that uh, theme Park Studio, or Pantera Entertainment, is doing a Kickstarter for a Theme Park Studio. And uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Kickstarter, it's sort of like a, a it's a resource where people, uh, creative companies, so to speak, will crowdfund their own products and projects. And you'll hear about people doing Kickstarters for ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, even like what two million dollars for that movie 
Uh, Veronica, Veronica Mars. Mars. Their their goal was two million. I think they ended at five point six million. Yeah, which is just people donating money. So um, what happens is you can visit themeparkstudio.com, and they've got a link to their Kickstarter, and you can see on the side all the different levels that you can donate. And for five dollars, you get recognition, and for anything twenty dollars and above, you actually get a copy of the game when it's released. And in some cases, a preview of it, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, so it's a, it's a win-win situation, you know, mm-hmm. no, no matter how much you donate. Um, yep. Just a full full disclosure: we're we're not part of this project in any way. No. We're not no. getting paid or anything for it. We just think it's a really really cool thing, and yep. I'm super excited to play the game when it comes out. So I gladly donated some money to their Kickstarter because yep. I want to play it. And this was my first Kickstarter. I was kind of excited to be part of it. Well, not my first Kickstarter, but my first time donating to a Kickstarter. And at first you might say, well, why do I want to give money to this company? Well, where they're trying to raise $80,000, and that's to release it by September 15th. They're hoping that with that amount of money, they won't have to worry so much about paying the bills. I mean, where the money's coming from, but they can focus on the game itself and getting it developed. Um, it's going to give them the opportunity to have more flat ride and environmental libraries which means more rides that you can design and put in there. Um, also, it's going to create a boxed edition of the game, and more time and effort will be spent on marketing, so more people will know about it. Uh, there are also some other things to think about with the Kickstarter. They also have stretch goals, and a stretch goal is something beyond the 80000 If they make a lot more money, not make, that was wrong, I'm sorry. If people donate more money to the Kickstarter, uh, not only will they create the box edition, but they're looking at doing uh, a Mac version as well as a PS3 version. And they want to do a money management version as well. Sort of like what Roller Coaster Tycoon did, where you could hire people, you could pay to build rides, you had to manage your food stalls and stuff like that. Uh, I'm excited about it. And for those of you that, that dig really deep and pledge um, at least $1,000 or more, you get invited to the. Uh, uh, actually, if you if you donate five hundred or more, you get to go to the Disneyland Rap Party, which is pretty cool. Um, I didn't donate that much, but I'll probably go to the park the same day as the Rap Party, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll just hang it on the outskirts. So if you <laughs> donate twenty dollars, you can hang out with me. And, and and you'll 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 just say yeah, I'm with uh, Mice Chat, the it, press. Exactly. Exactly. So let me in. They do have one level, which is five thousand dollars, where they will pay. For you to go to Disneyland, basically. They will pay for you to get into the park, pay for a hotel stay. Uh, stay. So it's pretty exciting. So uh, I'm excited about this Kickstarter. I'm excited about Roller Coaster uh, Theme Park Studios because we can design and build our own theme parks. And I can realize I'm not an engineer. Yeah, this is why we rides, chose the paths that we took yeah. as opposed to engineering. Yeah, my, why do all your coasters end in fiery death? I don't know. I thought it looked cool. Um, How come it flies off the end of the track into the water? Isn't I don't it know. supposed to? That's why it's called Fly it's, Off Into it's Water It's a water coaster. ride. Hello. <laughs> That's why it's on fire. They're wearing wet. their bathing suits. Yes. Yeah, so so uh, visit themeparkstudio.com and check out the link for their Kickstarter project and donate. And cross our fingers that they reach their goal because yes, I want to play it right now. I do too. I do too. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat.
During the original Star Tours ride, you were actually able to see the mighty microscope from Adventure Through Inner Space that we mentioned earlier. Now, it was located in the entrance bay just before your ship took off. Um, there was a control tower there, and behind the tower was a replica of the mighty microscope. And if you look closely, you can actually see the tiny atomobiles going into the microscope. You can also see it today in uh, Star Tours 2.0 if you get the sequence with the Death Star, because just as you exit the Death Star, if you look to the left side of the screen, you'll be able to see it floating in space. So now I have to ride it over and over and over again. I don't think I've ever gotten the Death Star sequence. I haven't either. I might have to check that out again and again. I get lots Hoth, of Hoth every single time. Yes, lots of Hoth. Not that we're complaining. No, Hoth is cool. Hoth is, it is. Very, very cool. I see what you did very there. Cool. I know what you're very chilly. For. I know, I know. So, well, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to us. Yeah, be sure to leave us a comment and rate us on the iTunes. Yes, love us. Don't forget those nine star ratings. Um, email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com with your bathroom break photos or photos of the mighty microscope on Star Tours 2.0. Or just, just to say hi. Just to What's say up, hi. guys? Yeah. How's it going? So you guys, That's fine. We awesome. like that too. You can also uh, like us on the Facebook at facebook.com slash Weekly. Yep. And follow us on Twitter at I'm at Imaginerding and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. I was going to try to change your name last. Right you, there. you, People are always trying to change my last name. I don't understand. Don't know why. Don't know why. But follow us for loads of snark and great conversation. In 140 characters or less. And pictures of the world's largest ball of twine. Oh, that's right. Because I'm sure right. I'll be posting many pictures of that. I hope so. I hope so from all different angles. Well, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show.